0: Imitate that model and do it every five weeks. Uh, so we'll do a five-week study leading up to Easter, uh, and then we'll take a break for the rest, for a month, and then come back and we'll do another five-week study with our, our students. So uh, be on the lookout for a sign-up sheet for this first five-week study. We'll, we'll use all the volunteers and help we can get in different areas and, and avenues for what we're trying to do. But uh, so we will not have it tonight, and we will not have it for the month of February. But the first Sunday in March, so we'll pick it back up. So thank you.
1: Hey, did you want to talk about the baby bottles? Yes, so our baby bottles are due next week, uh, next Sunday, February the 5th, for the uh, Pregnancy Resource Center of Stanley County. So if they're empty or if they're full, bring them back. We'll we'll turn them all in and see what our total is. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Okay, reports. Today's the last day to get your reports in for the uh, directory. Uh, Jessica's not here. She has a sinus infection, but she was on her computer when I left. So she is composing and putting all the things that she's received so far into the book. But if you have anything that you have not sent her, she requests that you get that to her by this evening, no later than 6. She wants to try to get this wrapped up so we can get it to the printer this week. So um, if you do have anything for the um, directory, get that done. Uh, any updates on um, addresses, that book is in the back. Be sure you check that. If you're not in there, you want to be added, put your address in there, and she'll get that in there. If you want, there's somebody that needs to be taken out, we'll do that. But today's the last day by 6 o'clock. Um, Tuesday, this February the 14th at 11, Young at Heart, cover Dish at the Fellowship Hall. Are there any other
2: announcements? Yeah, Karen. Yeah. Uh that. And also is for that And follow the
1: And that's when you'll get Hopefully, the director will be done and you'll get your directory that weekend as well. Okay, so if there's no other announcements.
2: I'm sorry. The
1: army will be back this coming Friday, the following Friday, 10th. Anybody else concerned be They'll be there starting on the 10th. Army back on the 10th of February, okay? Okay, so if there's no other announcements, we're going to read Psalms 5 today. Lord, hear me as I pray, pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. O oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may be, may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your home. house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Lead me in the right path, O oh Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make my way plain for me to follow. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like the strength. From an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. O oh God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them. At That all who love your name may be filled with joy, for you bless the godly, O Lord, you summon them all with your shield of love. Now if you'll stand with me, we'll open with hymn number 358, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. Believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, of God, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Third day he arose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the God.
2: From then she shall come to judge the quick and the dead.
1: I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of sins, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.
3: How's everybody doing? Good. good. Not a real big bunch, but a good-looking bunch, right? I'm going to ask you a couple questions. How are you like your parents? I love my parents because they, my mom came up my room and I got a well, well, that's a good thing. Now, how do we act like our parents? How do you act like your parents? What are some things that you do that they do? Play up your rooms? And phone time. Um, and then I think go away. <laughs> well, do, do, you, do, you, do you do you pull for the same sports teams? Okay. <laughs> do you do you like to do the same things like maybe read or cook or yeah well those are all things that we do that are like our parents that we learn, learn how to do those are learned things and I copy it. you copy it? <laughs> well sometimes that's for our brothers too right uh, do Do you look like your mom and dad yes yeah. like maybe same hair color same eye color um, mine really like, just
2: like me.
3: well what about what about your red hair <laughs> Who has red hair like you? <laughs> or, you know, maybe maybe freckles, maybe uh, you have brown eyes like your mother or your dad. Well, those are things we don't have any control over, right? We don't have any control over over our the color of our eyes or the color of our hair. <clears throat> Um, just like this right here, this, this, this bald spot. I have no control over that, right? Now, my dad, my dad had plenty of hair. So did my mom. But my grandfather had no hair. My grandfather, his brothers, my uncles, no hair. So we get we get those things, uh, our looks from our from our moms or our dads, and. That, like I said, there's nothing that we can we can do about those. Uh, there are just certain characteristics that we're that we're born with, and there's some that we that we learn. Um, who was the first human dad? Adam. That's exactly right. And there were certain things that certain traits that Adam passed down. Uh, to every human person, everyone that has lived, and everyone that will ever live, um, just like our hair color or our eye color, um, we have no control over that well it's just like it 's just like with Adam. Uh, does anyone know what Adam had and possessed that that he gave us that we have just like Adam I mean, have a have a clue sin exactly. Because we all remember the story about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, eating, eating the fruit, and they they disobeyed God, right? And because they disobeyed God, uh, Adam had sin, and Adam passed that sin on to each and every uh, human that would that would live. And there was nothing that uh, that he could do about it or we could do about it, right? Um, so. We needed we need someone that would come and save us from that sin. Someone did. And we know who that is, right? Exactly. So Jesus came and he was not like Adam. Because he didn't have sin. Adam had sin and all mankind had sin. But he didn't and he didn't look like Adam either. He looked like his heavenly father. So Christ took Adam sent away, took Adam sin away from all of us, and he takes, takes it away when we uh, believe in him and come to know him as our Savior. And when we have that faith and we start to believe and we come to know him and, and grow in him and grow in faith, then we will look more like him and act more like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these children. Father, we thank you that you send them to us, and Father, we pray that you would help them to grow, and help them to, to learn of you, and, and to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray that you would help all of us, as we grow in you, that we would become more like you in looks and in action. Ask this us ask in your Son, Jesus.
1: You'll stand, we'll stand, will sing hymn number two, sixty-four in Christ, in the cross of Christ my glory.
0: You have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans this morning. This morning we are continuing through our study of Romans together and looking at this morning, we will be finishing uh, the fifth chapter of Romans as we study this, uh, this passage together. All right, so this morning, uh, as, we, as we begin, as you're, you're turning there to Romans 5, uh, I, I'm wondering if any of you have ever had a, a teacher in any class, maybe in high school or, or even before that, maybe in college, where you've sat through a class and you've, you've wondered, you've left the class very confused, because the teacher, it seems, has, has sort of wrapped themselves up in knots, trying to explain or teach the topic that they've, they've been assigned And I think that really when we, when this happens, I think it happens for one of two reasons. Either the teacher doesn't understand the topic very well, and so they 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 are confused trying to teach a confused class, or the topic itself is so deep and complicated that even if the teacher knows it really well, just trying to explain it can be confusing. I I think maybe if, if you've Seen that before? I can assure you that you'll likely see that this morning, uh, because as we come to the end of Romans five, we are coming to a very confusing and headache-inducing passage. You I, I think that it makes us—it's so confusing as we read it, as we're about to read it—that it, it can make you wonder about Paul. You know, does it? Does he understand what he's writing here? Does he? Because it, it seems like he's tying himself up in knots, trying to explain it. And, and I don't think Paul's lost his bearings. I actually think that the topic that he is addressing, that he is teaching on, is so deep and so complex that it is it takes a moment for it to sink in. You know, if I'm honest, as we come to this passage, if I, I had a difficult time this week studying this, this passage in preparation for today. It's a, it's a hard, hard word. In fact, I told Paige this week, I said, I've never felt more inept and more unable in my abilities as a preacher than I have with this particular passage. Because it requires, so to preach to you from God's word requires not only that I understand what, what is written here, but also that I explain it in such a way that you will understand when you leave. And so I, I remember this week feeling, for, for lack of a better word, desperate. Desperate for help and desperate for understanding, and and you see something something wonderful happens when you come to God's word from a mindset of desperation. That the I, because I, I realize once again studying this passage that my ability to explain and teach God's word is not dependent on me because my skills at this are insufficient. But I am reminded this week, and I am reminded again this morning that the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words and giving them to Paul to write down is the same Spirit that works among us this morning that gives us understanding. And so I'm going to read this passage and and then we're going to pray. And my prayer is going to be that 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 Spirit, the Spirit of God, moves in us this morning and helps us to understand what he has inspired on these pages. So look with me at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. This is what Paul says. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Father, we we need your help this morning. I I I need your help this morning. I feel ill-equipped and insufficient standing before your word this morning. But God, we are reminded that it is not the preacher that we worship. It is not the, the power of the preacher's skill in speaking. And it is your word that we've come to hear and that we've come to know So, Father would you send your spirit among us this morning to give us understanding but more than that to give us faith to give us eyes to see which we cannot see to give us ears to hear which we cannot hear to, to give us hearts to believe which we cannot believe on our own speak through me this morning Father and Let your word go forth and bear fruit, Let it not return empty and void. Be glorified in us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This passage is one of comparison. It is Paul comparing two men in the history of humankind, the first being Adam, our first ancestor, the first human, And the second being Christ. And so throughout this passage, what Paul is doing is is comparing not these two men's identities, but rather their works. What Adam did compared with what Christ did. And how those two works lasted and and impacted all of humanity after them. And this passage really, it works like this. And I didn't come up with this this comparison or this illustration, but I think it's helpful. Um, Men, you know this. Women, you know this as well. If you gone with them when they've gone to purchase you diamonds. So when you go into a jewelry store, you will find no other retail store lit up quite like a jewelry store. I mean, there is lights in the ceilings, there are lamps on, the, on, the, on the, the shelves. Inside the shelves, there are lights shining down on the jewelry. And yet within a jewelry store, there is nothing but glass and mirrors, so that all of this light works to just bounce everywhere. I mean you almost need sunglasses when you go into a jewelry store. And when you go into these into these stores and um, you walk around and you're inevitably followed by probably three or four different salesmen and women who are all eager to, to make a sale and to convince you to buy the, the nicest diamond that you can possibly find. You inevitably tell them you're just looking and you are walking around and, and so you walk and you finally see they're in this uh, showcase. A, a beautiful diamond. And so the light is hitting it. All these lights are working to, to hit all the different facets and the different cuts of this diamond and causing this diamond to, to sparkle so brightly and beautifully in all of these lights. And so you call the salesperson over and you say, I think I'd like to see that one. And something, something happens when you tell the, the jeweler that you want to see a, a, a particular diamond. They reach in. They open up the case. They pull out the diamond, but before they set it down for you to look at, they put something else down on top of it. This black, dark, I mean, I'm not talking about just a a color black, I'm talking like black hole, black fabric that absorbs all light. And they put this down on top of the display case, and then they set the diamond right there on top of it. Have you ever thought about why they do this? It's the contrast. It's to, to compare that in the darkness and the blackness of this mat, this diamond, now that it already was shining in all this light, but now you put it on this black mat and it is ten times more beautiful and ten times more reflective and ten times more worth that ten times dollar amount that you expected it to be. This is what Paul's doing here with Adam and Christ. Adam is the black mat. He is setting down this black mat on top of this display case and showing you the darkness of Adam's sin. But then on top of that black mat, he places this most exquisite, most beautiful, most reflective diamond of Jesus and his works of righteousness and how he says to you, this diamond is. See, this morning in this difficult passage, This is what, what I want to do, what I want to spend our time together this morning doing is, is really doing what those jewelers do. I want to lay down the black mat first. And then I want to put, as Paul does, this beautiful diamond of the gospel right there in front of you. And if we accomplish nothing else this morning, I want to accomplish this. I want you to see how truly beautiful that diamond of Jesus is. I want you to see the various facets of this diamond. I want you to see how the light hits off of it. I want you to leave and walk out of these doors realizing, wow, that diamond is incredible. And if we can do that, then I think we'll have understood what Paul is saying here in Romans 5. So first, let's look at this this black map, this Adam. You see, as we begin in the passage, Paul is, is pointing to Adam's first sin. He says, as sin came into the world through one man, this one man is Adam. And we know this, if we've read through scripture or grown up or even close to or next door to a church, you know the story of Eden. How Adam and Eve were in the garden with God, and God gave them one command, don't eat the fruit of that tree. They eat the fruit of that tree. Adam's sin. And in this sin, God told them explicitly before they did that if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And when they ate the fruit, when they bit into that forbidden fruit, death entered the world. And Paul says in verse 12, then that death spread to all because all sinned. And really, this is the first hiccup. In this passage, this is the first place where we need to stop and really understand what Paul is saying before moving on. Because it even causes Paul to stop what he was saying so that he could make sure everyone followed him. You see, throughout this passage, Paul is doing this comparison where he's saying, just as Adam, so like Christ, or just as the sin, so like the free gift. There's this comparison language that Paul is giving where he says, just as and so. Just as and so. So you get in verse 12, therefore, just as sin, and then you actually never get the so because Paul has to stop to make sure everyone's following. So what does Paul mean by saying that all sin? I think it's really two options here. Is he saying that everyone is guilty of individual sins? Sins that we ourselves as individuals do. And that because of our personal sins, death comes to us. Or, is he saying that Adam, as our representative figure, sinned, and because he represents us, we sin in him, and because of his sin, death comes to us. See, I think there's a a mystery here. This is is one of those things that we, we may struggle to understand this morning, but but that's okay, because there's a mystery, there's, there's a depth and a complexity here that might be beyond our full grasp of understanding. And that's okay. But I think if we attempt for just a moment to sort of plumb the deep waters, I think this is important. I believe that Adam was a real historical person. He's not a myth, he's not a legend, he's not some story that we tell our kids because it helps us understand what happened. I think Adam actually walked in the garden with God. Adam actually lived with his wife and with his children. I think Adam actually bit a fruit that he wasn't supposed to eat. That's history, not myth. And I think the stories of Genesis are more than myths and more than stories. They are history. But I also believe that while Adam was a historical person, that he was also a representative figure. For us. And he was the first man. And really, this, this sounds more complicated than it is, this representative language. Because we, we do this type of representative thinking and speaking all the time. Imagine several years ago when the Olympics were on. And you're sitting there in your sweatpants with a, a jar of cookie dough on your lap. And you're watching Michael Phelps and Katie Medecki break world record after world record. And just swimming up and down the, the lanes of these pools in remarkable speed. And they're winning gold medal after gold medal after gold medal. And so later that day, you run into a friend of yours who missed the Olympics and didn't get to see it. And so they come to you and they say, hey, I missed it. Who won the gold? You inevitably will respond, we did. Now, what your sweatpants and cookie dough have contributed to those gold medals, I'll leave for you to decide. But we say that all the time. If you're a Chapel Hill fan and somebody says, who won the basketball game? You'll inevitably say, we lost. Because that's what Chapel Hill does, right? <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw it in there.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. but, but we do this all the time. What we say this, that we we won or we lost or, or we contributed. But in reality, we have no connections to the team's successes or failures. And this is what Paul is saying here. Adam is our representative. Adam is the one who sinned. He is the one who ate the fruit, who disobeyed God's command. And Paul is asking here in Romans 5, well, who sinned in in Eden? To which he then responds and says, we did. Who won the game? We did. Who sinned in Eden? We did. This is what he means by the phrase, because all sinned. We, We did. And before he can continue his flow of thought, he stops in verse 13 to deal with, with sort of an implied objection from some of his Jewish brothers and sisters who would be reading this. You see, the, the implied objection then would be, well, how can, how can this be true? How can all people have sinned if the law hadn't even come yet? God gave the law to Moses hundreds of years after, after Adam and Eve. How can we count sin when God hadn't even told us what sin was? Which Paul then responds to this. Well, did they die? Did all of those people between Adam and Moses, did they die, or are they still living because they didn't sin? No, of course they died. Because if they died, that means they sinned. Because the presence of death proves the presence of sin, whether we realize it or not. And not just individual sin but the corporate, representative sin of Adam. Let's, let's stretch it out a little bit more here. And I, I want to be, be delicate here, but I think this example helps us to understand why Paul can't just be talking about individual sin, but a corporate, resident, representative, humankind sort of sin. You see, we, we agree and we, we affirm what is taught in Scripture. And we'll, we'll get there in the next chapter where Paul says the wages of sin is death that our sin brings death to our world, and that our individual sin has deadly consequences. But if this is true, and if if Paul is talking exclusively about the individual sin, causing the individual to die, then why do infants? And I realize this this topic it's hard and it touches places, a lot of things just dull. I mean there's there's emotional involvement with this topic, and I, I'm not I'm not passing over that. I, I just want us to consider why is it that infants, that babies die? And not through abortion and not through through murder and other tragic situations, but I'm talking about sickness. I'm talking about illnesses, I'm talking about just unexplained things that happen that are sad and awful and heartbreaking. Why did those happen? I don't think any one of us is willing to stand up this morning and say, well, it's because in the eight hours that that child was alive, they committed sin. No. I mean, there's a reason that the picture of innocence in our world is a newborn baby. They are innocent. They are pure. They are special in every way. And I think that if we come to understand that Paul is not talking about individual sin bringing individual death, but he's actually referring to Adam's sin being passed down and carried over all of humanity. And we can understand the reason that babies die is not because that baby has committed a sin, but because he belongs to Adam's race. We can ask the question, and I've been asked multiple times as a pastor why? Why do these bad things happen? Why do infants get sick and die? Why do babies suffer and die? And the answer is going to always be because of sin. Well, whose sin? Adam's sin, which is our sin. I think that's what Paul is getting at in verse fourteen when he says that their sinning is not like the transgression of Adam. You see, a transgression is a violation of a commandment. For example, in Eden, God said, don't eat this fruit. And Adam ate that fruit. That's a transgression. He broke the commandment. But even in times where God did not give his law, even at times where God did not say, you cannot do this, or you should do this, or you shouldn't do this, even in times where that is not available, there's still sin and there's still death. Humanity still sinned in Adam and thus humanity dies. This is what is called imputation. Imputation. Adam sinned and because we are, because he was our representative, his sin is given or it is imputed. And it is given to us as if it were our own, as if we were the ones in the garden who ate that fruit. And because of Adam's sin, which has been imputed to us, this is why we die. And I realize this is is not easy for us to to grasp or to wrestle with. I mean, especially because we live in in one of the most individualized societies of all of human history. You tell me that I made a mistake, that I I committed a sin, and that my sin deserves to be punished, I, I can own that. It was my mistake, I did it, I deserve punishment for it. But you tell me that someone else sinned, and now I have to deal with it? You tell me that someone sinned millennia ago, and now that's on me? I wasn't even alive when, when Adam ate the fruit. Why is this my fault? Why am I having to pay for this? And, and parents, you hear this in your house, I'm, I am positive every week, especially if you are parents of more than one child. You tell your kids, go clean up the room or go clean up the living room, clean up the mess. I didn't make the mess. So and so did. But as a parent will say to their child, we should hear it again this morning. We live in this world broken by Adam's sin and our own sin. It is our mess. Whether we're the ones who actively made it or not, it is our mess. And it doesn't matter who did it first or or whether we were around when it happened. Here is this mess of sin and brokenness and sadness and it's ours. I think one of the ways that we, we need to understand, you know, why, why is Paul talking about this? Why does this matter to us today? I think we need to, we need to see first how universal in the scope the gospel is. You see, if we're talking about Jesus paying the price for our, for our breaking God's law for breaking the Ten Commandments, for example, then really the gospel only applies to those people who understand the Ten Commandments. Or if we're talking about Jesus dying for people who look like us and talk like us and act like us, then really in order to understand the gospel, you have to be one of us. But the reality is, is what Paul is speaking to here is not a Jewish gospel. It is not a Middle Eastern gospel. It is not an American gospel. It is not a white, black, or or red gospel. Here we have a gospel that applies to every single member of Adam's race. If you are a human, then the gospel speaks to you because you carry Adam's sin as a human, and as a human alone. His sin has been imputed to you, and it is a problem that must be dealt with. Doesn't matter your religion, doesn't matter your faith, doesn't matter where you live or the time in which you live, this gospel matters to you. Because Adam's sin is our sin and all of it. because of Adam's sin, that everyone dies. And without Christ, without the better Adam, every human being is without hope in this world. See, church, you and I live in a lost world, and we are lost in it. We are born into a broken world. We are born into sin. And we are carrying with us, from the moment of conception, carrying with us the sin of our ancestors. The sin of our representative. The sin of Adam. And nothing you do, nothing I do, will ever free us from it. Nothing. Because this sin is in our blood. It is in our bones. It is in our DNA. It is who we are. We are broken, rebellious. How can we ever be freed from this? How can who we are ever change? Well, we need someone to impute to us something better than what Adam imputed to us. We need a better representative than Adam. We need someone who will obey for us where Adam disobeyed for us. You see, in that person, the whole purpose of this passage is to show us that person, that person is Christ. He is the greater Adam. He is the better representative. You see, you may notice, look at at the very end of verse 14. Because the passage sort of hinges at this point where Paul points out that Adam was a type of the one to come. Adam, when we read the stories of Genesis, when we think about who Adam was, Paul wants us to look at Adam and think, I need someone to represent me better than Adam did. I need someone like Adam, but better. Paul says, that's exactly what Adam is supposed to make you feel. Because then Paul points us to Jesus because this is exactly who Jesus is. You see, the black mat has been laid down on the display page. The darkness of sin and Adam's sin is there on the counter staring at us like a black hole absorbing all light. And now Paul, this gospel jeweler, brings out from behind the counter this dazzling, exquisite diamond in the person of Jesus, and he sets it right there on top of it for all the light to stop being absorbed by the blackness, but to hit this diamond and light up the room. It's this contrast that makes Jesus stand out even greater. I want to show you two ways that Paul contrasts Adam and Christ here. And really, the first is in verse 15. It's the contrast of degree. And the second is in verse 16, the contrast of result. So first, the the contrast of degree. It's in verse 15. Look with me. This is what it says. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So already you see, here's the comparison. You have a free gift and a trespass. For as many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gifts by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Let me just point out two phrases here to to clarify what's being said. First, when Paul says much more, he isn't talking about how much more people, but rather how much more certainly. If you go back and you see how how he used this phrase earlier in the chapter, this becomes clear because, and and really logic will tell us this, if if all of humanity died through Adam's sin, how can Jesus save more than all of humanity? How can he save more people than that have ever existed? It just doesn't, it doesn't work. But rather, what Paul is saying is that this is a matter of certainty and not quantity. If you know that this world is broken by sin and death, if you know that, if you know that this is a certainty, maybe you've even been guilty of saying there's only two certainties in life, death and taxes, You and I know that death is is certain. No escaping it. And Paul is saying that if you know that death is certain, then you can be even more certain that in Christ there is life. This is exactly what Paul is saying, that we can be sure that the grace of Christ has worked to free people from Adam's sin what he means by much more. So it's not much more people, but it's much more certainly. Second phrase is at the end of the verse, and this is the word abounded. This is where we see the contrast clearly. Because you know, you know how far-reaching Adam's sin is. That's been established. It is touched and it has been imputed to every single human being to ever have lived since Adam. And Paul, what Paul wants you to see here is that the difference of degree. The difference of scope, the the difference of power between Adam's sin and Christ's obedience. You see, Adam's sin, imputed to us, is something that no one can overcome. And yet, Paul says that Christ's grace, Christ's righteousness, imputed to you, exceeds and goes beyond it abounds the sin of Adam. John Piper put it, helped explain it this way. He said, Someone might say that Adam's sin, if we're doing a math problem, Adam's sin equals negative ten. And so that every person, from the moment they're born, starts off life at negative ten. And you can never get out of that hole. And so what Christ does, some would say, is that Christ comes in and his obedience is positive ten. And so, when Christ's obedience meets Adam's sin in you, you get brought back to zero. And then it's up to you to continue to either increase or decrease your gap from there. So, this is a problem. Because what Paul is saying in this abounding language is not that Adam's sin is negative sin and Christ is positive sin. It's that Adam's sin is negative 10 and Christ's obedience is positive 10,000. Then it exceeds and abounds and goes far beyond anything that Adam's sin could ever do in your life. It is that much greater and that much more abundantly supplied to you. That the degree in which Adam's sin has impacted your life and impacted your world is nothing in comparison to the way that Christ's obedience for you has changed everything. The work of Christ excels in every measure in every measure the sin of Adam. And this contrast of degree is beautiful, wonderful news for us.
3: We need
0: this. Second contrast that Paul gives is this contrast of result, and you see this in verse sixteen says, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For, th- for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What did Adam's sin lead to? It led to judgment. It led to condemnation. It led to death. And here we have Paul referring to the result of these two men and what their works achieved. Adam's sin brought judgment, Christ's obedience brought justification, our being declared righteous and innocent and holy and perfect in God's eyes. But it's it's more than that as well. You see, because, because of one single sin, because of Adam eating the wrong fruit, all the world was condemned. And in the thousands of years between Adam and Christ, consider just in that moment of history, consider all of the various sins that were that happened between Adam eating the fruit and Christ dying on the cross. I mean, who could count the number of sins, the number of simple thoughts, hurtful words, tragic outcomes, all of it? Who could count the amount of sin that took place in that? blanket, that block of time. And this doesn't even consider all the sins that came after Christ up until today. But if one single sin brought judgment and condemnation for all of us, what about all the rest of the sins of the world? What did those bring? Surely it just keeps on to more and more judgment, more and more condemnation. And made us more and more deserving and worthy of death. One one commentary he wrote it this way. He said, one single sin answered by judgment is understandable. You did wrong, you pay the price. We got it. But the fact that the accumulated sins and guilt from all ages, from Adam to Christ, from Christ to now, the accumulated guilt and sin of all of those people is answered by by the free gift of grace in Christ. That is the miracle of miracles. I mean, do, you, do you see how, how this contrast helps us not only to understand the measure of Christ's work, but also the, just the beauty and the wonder of it? I mean, if you take away the black nap from the diamond, that diamond still sparkles. It's still the same diamond. It's still just as beautiful, just as exquisite. But when you place that diamond on top of this black mat, on top of that darkness, the the beauty of this diamond is able to stand out in such a more wonderful, much more observable, much more celebrated way. It's the same diamond, but the contrast is what makes it truly beautiful. It's what makes its beauty stand out even more. And you see, what's incredible about this passage, what's incredible about the gospel, is that if you were to walk into a jewelry store, even maybe this afternoon you walk in and you examine the, their you want to see their finest and most beautiful, most exquisite diamonds. You'd have to shell out quite a good bit of money to take that thing and they'd go through all the, the spiel, they'd put it on the black mat, they'd let you see the, the, under the light, they'd shine it as brightly as they could. But in order for you to walk out of the store with that diamond in your pocket, it's going to cost you something, isn't it? You notice how many times Paul uses the phrase free gift here in the passage? It's over and over and over again. Adam's sin, Adam's sin, free gift, free gift, free gift, free gift. Free gift. What Paul is saying here, if we use our, our jewelry store illustration, what Paul is saying is that you are able to walk into the jewelry store, ask for their most exquisite, most expensive, most outrageous diamond they own. And the owner of the store goes, Here, take it. It's yours. I've already paid for it, I've already bought it. But I've been looking for someone to give it to. Take it. Take it home. It's yours. I think there's something about us that we would be more blown away by a jewelry store giving us a free diamond than we would be the work of Christ giving us his righteousness. Church, you did nothing. You did nothing to earn your righteousness. But it has come to you in the grace of Christ. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay it back. You cannot work at all. It is a free gift given to you and the only thing that you are called to do with it is to receive it. Adam's sin came to all. There was nothing we could do about that. It was imputed to us. And yet, to those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, eternal life is freely given in Jesus. Receive it. You know, lastly, I think as we come to the end of chapter 5, I think we we have to ask here, why? Why is this how it all works? Why is Adam's sin imputed to me? Why is Christ's righteousness imputed to me? Why is this the way that it is? And the short answer really is it's, it's God's design. This is how he planned it. This is how he wrote the story of salvation. This is what he designed and ordained it to be. And really, if we were to go back and look at verse 12, where Paul talked about because all sin, I think this this God's designing of this stands out a little bit more clearly. Because if we take this to refer, when, when Paul says because all sin, if we take this to refer to every person's individual sin, then I think we have a problem with the gospel. Because if it is only my sin that leads to my death, then the work of Christ is not to obey for me, but to equip me and to empower me to obey so that I can earn my righteousness. Adam gave me a sinful nature, so Christ then gives me a righteous nature. But it's up to me whether I sin, and it's up to me whether I obey. But the gospel then becomes a message of imitation and not impotence. The message of the gospel becomes, be like Christ, not receive Christ. And that's not what scripture teaches us. But if it's Adam's sin imputed to me, then there's nothing I can do to remove it. Which means that I don't need a savior who gives me the tools to obey. I need a savior who will obey for me. I need someone who can impute to me a righteousness that is greater than the sin that was given to me. In in Adam, I belong to his race. And I actually become a sinner when I am born. It's true. I I was born a sinner. So were you. There's nothing you can do to change that. No more than, as Ray taught the kids, no more than you can do to change the color of your hair. Or make it grow back. But But the true glory of the gospel is that in Christ, I actually become righteous. Just as I actually became sinful when I was born, so I actually become righteous when I am born again in Jesus. Not righteous like, not righteous capable, but that I am righteous here and now and forever. And if you're tracking with me on this, then then we can come back to this question of why. Why does this work the way that it does? This is God's design, and why did he design it this way? Because who receives the glory and the praise and the honor for the way salvation works? You or him? If I cannot save myself or I cannot remove the stain of sin from me, then I am powerless. And what I need is someone to be powerful for me. And that's who Christ is. Through this, we not only see the power and the effectiveness of Christ's work, but we also see the glory of God on display as he saves sinners by his design, by his plan. And even more than that, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, if we've been in Romans 5, we've been talking about this theme of assurance. How is it that we can know that we are saved without a shadow of a doubt? And Romans 5, this last section, does nothing but add to that assurance. If you did not earn your salvation, then you cannot lose your salvation. If you did not earn your righteousness, then you cannot lose it. But instead, that righteousness was imputed to you. It was given to you. Free of charge. It cannot be lost by you. We see this as he's wrapping up this section. look Look at verse 20. This will be our last... The last verse that we look at, it this is what Paul says. He says, the, the law came in to increase the, the, the trespass. Paul's not removing the law, he's not putting God's law in a negative light, but he's rather showing that, that through this law of God we come to see just how sinful we are. And so, for example, in the Ten Commandments, when God says to us to honor your father and mother, I realize that I'm much worse at this commandment than I thought I was before. If God had never told me to honor your father and your mother, then I would think that I'm a pretty good kid. That I do a pretty good job of this. But when I stare into the perfection and the requirement of God's law to honor my parents, I realize, well, I don't know that I do it every day. And I don't know that I do it as as I should. see, without the law telling me this, then I would never know just how bad off I am. And it's not that his law made my sin worse, but rather that his law opens my eyes to see it clearer. Maybe the reason so many people today have come to think of themselves as basically good is because they've spent less and less time looking into the mirror of God's law. You see, church, you are far worse off than you ever thought possible. But Paul doesn't leave us in despair at the condition of our sin. He continues in verse 20. He says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. If the law tells me that I am worse off than I ever knew, then the grace of Christ tells me that he is greater still. And when I look at God's law over and over again, when I continue to see my sin over and over again, that it runs deeper than I ever thought Then in the grace of Christ I am reminded over and over again His grace is greater than all of my sins. Robert Murray McShane said it best. He said there's more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. Here's a well that we must continue to return to. though A well that we will never reach the bottom of. A well that we must drink deeply of every time we thirst of Christ is a, an unending supply no matter how thirsty you may be no matter how sinful you may be that well never can you see I, I don't know what your week looked like maybe maybe you had a good week maybe you spent time in the scriptures every day you, you prayed every day you grew in your relationship with Christ praise God for that maybe it was a bad week Maybe maybe you lost your temper more times than you can count. You fought with your spouse. You got angry with your kids. You just had a week filled more with sin than anything else. Regardless, I know this. Your salvation in Christ is secure. You were born in sin, unable to break those chains. Adam's guilt imputed to you, and there was nothing you could do about it. So someone came and saved you when you could do nothing to save yourself. And because He saved you, because He holds you fast, because as He writes in John 10, that none of His people will ever be plucked out of His hand. And that salvation that you have in Him, no matter what kind of week you've had, that salvation is secure, it's certain, it's sure more sure than the fact that one day each of us in this room will die see the gospel is a message not about imitation it's not about being like this and do like this and copy this the gospel is not a message of imitation it is a message of imputation sin was given to you and righteousness a greater righteousness was given You cannot imitate Christ or use Christ to accomplish your unrighteousness, but it must be given, freely given and received by you. Rest in this, Christian. Be certain of this. And if you leave here this morning with nothing else, I pray you leave here in all and wonder of the beautiful diamond of Christ that has just been laid. More than that, this diamond has been given to you free of charge. It is yours to take home. You do not have to leave it here and then come back to it next week. It is yours. Take it. Take it home. marvel at it this afternoon and then show it off to someone you love. How truly beautiful a Savior we have for His righteousness goes far beyond anything that we could ever do. Any sin that we could ever bring to his righteousness covers it all pray with me Father I pray that your word bears fruit that we see Christ as beautiful teach us to treasure him teach us to marvel in him teach us to rest in him help us Father in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Every week, as we respond here this morning, uh, we'll respond to the preaching of God's word by taking communion together. Uh, Ron is at the back. If you need the elements, uh, just raise your hand; he'll bring it to you. But this morning, uh, as we as we come to this table, I, I feel I feel like the gospel shines a little bit brighter in the table every week. And I, I don't know if you feel this or you see this as well, but there's just something about taking the, taking the table together every week that it hasn't, hasn't gotten old yet. It looks not for me, it looks not for you. Because every week as we come to the table, we are given a visible, tangible, touchable, and tasteable reminder of what Christ has done. And here we have, Christian, this, this, this truth. That your sin, from the moment of birth to you from Adam and all the things that you yourself have done has deserved death. But in Christ, that debt has been paid completely and fully. The body of Christ broken for you. And in the cup... Seems that so often we lose sight of the diamond that we have in our possession, that we've forgotten just how beautiful it is. Church, the day is coming when that diamond will not just sit in a pocket or in a safe or in a vault, but He will walk with us, and He will He will be with us, and we will be with Him. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, to the kingdom. Let's sing one one final hymn together before we leave. It is Hymn 440. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Will you stand and sing? benediction this morning as it is every week is we are called to go and make disciples and there's no greater task no greater joy than getting to take that diamond of christ home with you and showing it to someone else and bringing them a copy of it for themselves church go and make disciples this week and share this diamond that you've been given say the great commission aloud with me this morning and jesus said to them all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me